and welcome to Thingamajigs, the exciting history of mundane things. My name is Ben. Oh, and and there's Danielle. What, what's going on? I, I have an announcement. Okay, what you got? Glass. I have glass in my hand. Oh. Okay. Well, now you're supposed to guess about the topic. Oh, um, is it, uh, announcements? No, we're not talking about the history of announcements. What, what is the object that I'm holding? Butter knife. That is, okay, that's the other thing I'm holding, which we will cover one day. What is the thing that I'm holding in my left hand? Uh, your left or my left? My, my left! It's a glass. I'm holding a wine glass in particular, and we are going to talk about glass. Oh, okay. Well, why didn't you just say so? I did say so. I said so with the with the clink. Okay. So, uh, what's the deal with glass? I'm assuming we invented it when Og left his cave for some whiskey, but he didn't have anything to shoot it from? Um... No, I mean, it's... Okay, glass is something that occurs naturally from the lava of volcanoes. Black pieces of it is called obsidian. They were collected by Neolithic people, so you weren't completely off. Knew it. They would use it to form tools, mainly for, like, cutting and piercing things. And to drink a nice, neat scotch. No, they were... No, not anywhere near... Because they weren't making it themselves, they were subject to however much of it was just around. And due to its limited supply, it was a heavily traded resource. So they used glass like money? No. Well, yes. Kind of. It was a barter system. So the next time you ask a caveman, what's in your wallet? The answer is glass. Okay, well I'm glad we finally cleared that up after all this time. Glass will also naturally occur when lightning strikes a beach. Over 3,000 degree heat hits that sand and it fuses together to form a fulgurite. It can also be called a lightning stone or petrified lightning, which I think is funny. That's a cool term. Have you ever seen the movie Sweet Home Alabama? I haven't, but I've heard of the band Petrified Lightning going on tour next year. I'm really hyped. I don't think that's a real band. They talk about it in the movie, and it is a real thing, but they make it look much prettier than it is. It actually looks like an oblong chunk or cylinder that resembles a plume of smoke. You can... we'll have pictures of it. Not exactly the beautiful piece of refined lightning-looking piece of what I would call art from the movie. It also came up in a few episodes of Supernatural, which I did not watch, but from what I can gather, they used it to summon gods or demons, which I think they might have gotten that idea from the traditional lore behind Fulgurite, which is that they bring healing properties. I also have a theory that maybe they believed it had powers because Zeus is the god of thunder. Maybe they believed that he imparted some of his powers into the glass. Regardless, it isn't hard to believe that they thought it had magical powers of a sort. Nearly everything in the olden times had some spiritual significance. I'm not saying I care about Supernatural, but I can tell you that I'm not Team Dean. I don't even know who is the other team. Is there, is there only Dean? Is Dean the only team? No, it's Dean and Sam. They're partners. 
Sam's the good one. I was about to say, I just have a notion that I would be Team Sam. No, you'd probably be Dean. Dean's hot. I mean, I haven't seen it. (laughs) So the invention of glass, as in when we first started making it ourselves, comes from three possible locations. Coastal North Syria, Mesopotamia, or Egypt around 2500 BC. The first object to be made were glass beads, possibly created even by accident as a byproduct of metalworking. They made containers with molds, but finally the Syrians said, why don't we blow air into this thing to make it hollow, and thus an easier and faster way of making glass vessels was discovered. So it was like a long pipe-looking thing that they put the glass, the molten glass on one side, and they blew from the other side. I think it would be cooler to make glass stuff from a mold. Have you ever seen how they make like Yeti coolers? No. Okay, so let me let me break this down for you. <laughs> I don't remember the name of the manufacturing process, but what they do is they take something molten, usually plastic, and they will pour it into a mold, but then they rotate that mold around until that molten material solidifies, so it makes a hollow shape of that mold as it solidifies around the edges of it because they're turning it Mm. you could probably make some really cool glass stuff that way anyway naturally they were like we gotta write this down and so you can find pictures of their recipe written in cuneiform tablets it was 60 parts sand 180 parts ash from sea plants i'm not really sure what that exactly entailed, but it was sea plants. Can't remember what plant it is, but they took a certain plant that grows uh, in in that climate, and they burn it to make soda ash. Mm. And then five parts chalk. Glass during this time was highly colored due to impurities. They developed methods of creating colorless glass, but then they began tinting it. So I don't know really know why they said hey we need to make this colorless and then they said hey we should add some color it came out as a color and whenever they made it clear they were like "Uh oh human intervention we're gonna ruin the world with this clear glass so they hurried up and made it a different color so they human intervened again with more color no they put it back to nature just more fun okay sure like how we'll excavate a beach to build a water park it's okay. It's very natural. Water park coming soon. In parentheses, the natural water park. Yes. Water park. The way the Lord intended. So the Romans guarded the skills and technology very closely, and it wasn't until their empire collapsed that glassmaking knowledge became widespread throughout Europe and the Middle East. Now that I have told that story, I'm going to tell the Pliny the Elder story. Oh, Pliny. I believe we've talked about him in the past. He's got some wild tales. So he recounts a story where merchants that traded natural soda stopped to prepare a meal. There were no suitable rocks to support their cauldrons, so they propped their cooking pots on lumps of soda from their cargo. When these became heated and mingled with the sand from the beach, a strange translucent liquid flowed forth in streams. Now, that cannot be true, because that fire would not have been hot enough to to do that, 
But I'll give Pliny grace because I think he was just retelling a story he knew and not necessarily making it up on his own. It would need to be like 3,000 degrees, right? It would need to be much hotter than a little campfire on the beach. I mean, maybe they were just doing one heck of a sear. They were getting their steaks just right. I don't think they were eating steaks either. Why are you judging these people? Well, because, I mean, if it, were, it was probably like fish. They were on a beach. They you were... can sear a fish. You ever had seared salmon? I'm not at saying... At 3,000 degrees? I'm not disagreeing with your seared part. I was saying it probably wasn't steak. I don't know. It might have been steak. I just don't think it was steak. If you're following along at home, you probably shouldn't try to sear a salmon at 3,000 degrees. That thing's going to be toast. In the Middle Ages... Venice became the leader in glass production, so the Italians didn't want their excellent craftsmanship or technology to be duplicated, so they made their glassmakers work and live on the island of Murano. It was also convenient that if a fire broke loose, the city wouldn't be harmed. That was a big problem back then. All the cities were just burning to the ground immediately. The workers were paid well, and they were very respected, but they weren't allowed to leave and start their own businesses elsewhere in order to keep a lock on the trade secrets. Let's quickly talk about stained glass. Most people would associate stained glass with the Gothic era, but it existed very much earlier. The oldest surviving stained glass window is found in a cathedral in England dating back to the late 600s. And we also have stained glass vases from Rome mm -hmm. in museums. We don't have them in our house. Oh, man, could you imagine? We would be rolling in the stained glass. That would be a pretty sick power move to walk out into the party with a Roman stained glass beverage. <laughs> yes, I would like Kool-Aid and vodka in this piece of history. At a time when there was no printing and throughout Europe the population was 80, maybe 85% illiterate, walking into a cathedral with all of the familiar stories and brilliant living color for them to see, it was a very powerful tool in helping the people connect with the teachings. You should also consider how this was a time where people didn't interact with a lot of imagery. Yes, there were paintings, but only the rich had those commissioned, so when these people looked at these incredible, ornate windows, it wasn't just pretty pictures of stories they knew. It was unlike anything they had ever seen. It was like, if we saw holographic art right now... That's probably a pretty good comparison. It was cutting-edge technology. Jamestown, Virginia is home to the United States' first glass-making business in 1608. It started when eight Germans, who for some reason were called Dutchmen and Poles, arrived in the New World. Do I need to clarify that that was Poland? People from Poland? Yes, he did, because I was just imagining uh, a group of very proud Germans. With their Poles? Oh, yeah. That's just... all people could talk about. Went down in history as the group of Germans and their big old Poles. No. Pol Poland. Polish people. They used sand from the James River, pot ash, which was plant ash or wood ash soaked in water, and oyster shells, which could be burned and ground to make lime. Glass is believed to be the first manufactory in the New World. However, the factory did not stay up and running long. This is going to get sad. Are you ready? 
I'm ready. So there seem to be a lot of issues with the factory itself and the people running it. It's a little disorganized from the get-go. Now, th- th- these are still the Germans and the Poles, right? There were two factories that happened, and there were some Italian people that came in that had even better knowledge about how to make glass. Again, this story was very convoluted, and it involved uh, an assassination attempt on John Smith. I don't really know. I left it out because I could not follow it. If it were the Germans' factory, it would have done great. They're not disorganized. They wouldn't let that happen. (laughs) So on top of all of these issues, um, they had a really bad winter. Their, Their 1609 to 1610 winter season, which they called the Starving Time, Jamestown had 500 residents, and by spring it dropped to 61. Ah, the good old days. The good old days. Yeah, back in the starving time. Warm, fuzzy memories. Back when America was great. It wasn't even America yet. (laughs) So this was uh, still New Britain. I think they called it New England. (laughs) What, you've never heard of the New Britain Patriots? In 1674, an Englishman, George Ravenscroft, attempted to counter the effects of clouding in the glass by adding lead to the raw materials. The glass he created was not only clearer, but it was softer and easier to decorate, and it had a higher refractive index. It was sparkly. Oh, I like sparkles. His recipe proved to be invaluable to the optical industry. It was in 1688 that the French town of Saint-Gobain saw glassmakers pouring molten glass onto a table and rolled out until it was the same thickness all over. The technique was ideal for making mirrors, mainly for the nobility. They had to be able to look and see how pretty they were. Mm, I can't imagine that they were extremely attractive. They had to with look, all the inbreeding. They had to look and see how far the syphilis spread. <laughs> the window tax was first imposed in 1696. It was meant to make up for the revenue deficiency resulting from people clipping silver coins. I am taking that literally. I'm pretty sure they were actually getting them, you know, garden scissors out and clipping off pieces of coins. Yeah, I know that was a thing even um, in early America uh, because a penny could buy you like 20 chickens. If you only wanted one, you'd have to cut off a 20th of your penny. And now they're worthless. Now we throw them in our garbage. Yeah, we really need to stop making pennies. I've started a petition on change.org and nobody signed it. The problem is, if you're making change, if if someone pays you $20 and you owe them $5.94... You'd just round it. So, like, other countries have done the same thing, and we did the same thing as well at one point. You know, whenever you go to the gas station, you're not paying three ninety nine a gallon, you're paying three ninety ninety nine. <laughs> Which I can't believe they still allow that. That seems so scummy and impractical. We don't ever pay with a thousandth of a dollar anymore. And uh, we don't really need to pay with a hundredth of a dollar anymore. But sooner or later, we're going to have another Great Depression. Go, America. We'll need those pennies. Or we just get rid of cash altogether. Just use them cards. Pay with Obsidian. (laughs) We'll go back to bartering with (laughs) Obsidian. Bartering would be awesome, actually. 
if everything just worked on a barter, you go down to the 7-Eleven and be like, hey, I got this chicken if you want to give me those Fritos. As someone who works retail, I would have no idea how to determine whether your chicken is worth the, what, 50 nuts and bolts that you just dropped in front of me. <laughs> oh, it'll be in the computer. So you'd uh, type in chicken and then you'd have to be like, all right, you're short a beak. Uh, so how about you give me a couple eggs and we're even. How about you train the chicken to cluck on command and we'll call it even. So there was also a financial crisis caused by England's various wars with Ireland. They threw around the idea of an income tax, but as you can guess, that idea was met with great public outrage. However, England's going to make that money, so they introduced the window tax. They had one of those in RuneScape in one of the quests. You had to go and make up new taxes for the kingdom to get tax money, and uh, one of those was a window tax. I probably just really dated myself for anybody who knows what RuneScape is. There's like five people listening right now that know what you're talking about, and they're all very old. <laughs> it's a generous number, but I'll take it. Oh, you think so? It was thought that it would be a fair way to tax people. The bigger the house, the more windows it would have, and therefore the more presumed wealth of the homeowner. This was not popular because they saw it as a tax on light and air. Did it count if you just, like, cut a hole in your wall? Does that count as a window that needs to be taxed? I mean, you could still be taxed if you had a hole in your wall that was a window and it was just your problem if you didn't actually put something to blockade you from the outside world. They did have something called blind windows, which was a fake window that they would install for symmetry purposes. It wasn't a real window. It just from the outside looked like a, a window. Real fake windows. I also had that thought whenever I read that. Get your fake windows. It was charged at a rate of two shillings per year if you had less than 10 windows, four shillings if you had 10 or 20 windows, and eight shillings for those with 20 or more. Eight shillings a year? That sounds pretty affordable. I don't know how to quantify that into a currency that I would understand. I don't deal with shillings. I'm pretty sure eight shillings would be about $100 a year in today's money, but I'm not certain. That's not too bad. But it is still a tax on light and air, so I'd be pretty annoyed about that too. I would be annoyed, for sure. But also, I am poor, and I wouldn't have 20 windows. I'd be in the 10 windows or less group. This system of taxing was repealed in 1851. Oh, good for them. Well, hang on. Oh, boy. On top of the window tax was the glass excise tax. This one was imposed in 1745, so you'll notice an overlap there. And it was for all manufacturing materials, so all of the things that it took to make glass was taxed. Eventually, they changed it to just the finished glass goods instead of the materials used, and then that tax was repealed in 1845. However you slice it, they had been taxed twice for their glass, and it was a very grand display of wealth to have a greenhouse. So many windows. <laughs> Not only that, but they also, the things that you could grow in a greenhouse, all of those exotic foods, was also a display of wealth. They sure loved taxing things back then. 
back then, we are still being taxed. I feel like it's not as bad. I mean, we haven't had a whole war about it yet. So, oh. American Michael J. Owens invented the fully automatic bottle blowing machine in 1903. It was a true masterpiece of engineering. It used the suck and blow process. <laughs> Can't you keep it together? I ordered a suck and blow machine once, but it never showed up. What are you talking about? I am right here. <laughs> the gob of glass was sucked into the metal mold and cut off automatically. It sucked. produced It produced 2,500 bottles an hour. Wow, that is actually very efficient. Yeah, it was amazing. It's impressive. I like to call the little spot where you can see where it used to be attached to whatever it is that you were blowing on, and you broke it off, and there's like this little rough circle patch at the bottom. A little nubbin. I call that the glasses belly button. That's not what it's called. It's called the bottle Now it has to be explicit. Yeah, I'll bleep it. Then they're not going to understand at all what you just said. It's going to make no sense. Uh, I think if anybody knows, they'll know, you know? Okay. You guys know. There are a lot of different glasses and processes that we use today, but we were just covering the history of the substance, so we weren't going to talk about any of that. Also, it's kind of boring. Go watch how it's made. You'll get the idea. Can you name any, any glass? I know tempered glass, bulletproof glass. Tempered glass is awesome. Anyway, we're not going to talk about any of it. Glass is the ideal material for recycling. It takes less energy to melt down existing glass than it does to melt down the raw materials to make new glass bottles. And that's if, you know, your recycling actually makes it to the recycling. <laughs> I do have one more weird historical thing about glass, and you will never guess what it is. Willy Wonka's glass elevator. Ooh, no. But I like, I like that idea. <laughs> it's called the glass delusion. Which has nothing to do with the history of actual glass, but it is a fascinating phenomenon where people come to believe that they themselves or a portion of their body is in fact made of glass. So the French King Charles VI is the most well-known case. He believed that his buttocks was made of glass. <laughs> Don't make fun of him. Glass buttocks. His doctor, André de Laurens, reported that he was sound of mind in every other manner and could go about his daily life. He was able to keep relations with his friends, but he would urge them, you know, not to get too close to him because he was afraid they might break his butt. Now we have to bleep another thing. No, I'll edit it out, but I'm going to leave in the part where you said we have to bleep something else and people will be really confused. At the time, they blamed this illness on too much black bile in the body. And that was tied to melancholy, which was kind of our version of depression or extreme sadness. Where is... I'm, I'm a pretty sad guy sometimes. Uh, where is the black bile stored in my body? Um, I don't know where they thought that it was held within the body. Well, I should be able to at least uh, put some leeches on my arms and they can suck it out, right? I think that happened when they had too much blood. How do I get rid of all this black bile? I want to be happy. Um, go for a walk in the woods at dawn and find a one-year-old fawn and drink its urine, and then you will be happy. 
Did you by chance get that information from Pliny the Elder? No, but it does sound like something he would say. (laughs) So Charles would wrap himself in many blankets in order to protect his fragile bottom. He would wear reinforced clothing, which I do not really know what that means, but I'm guessing it had a lot of layers or maybe it was like pieces of armor. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what reinforced clothing means, but he went through great lengths to make sure that his, his bottom area was protected. Maybe he just put some of uh, Jacob W. Davis's rivets in his pants. He didn't have those. How do you know Jacob W. Davis wasn't just ripping off of whatever King this guy's Charles's name is? <laughs> reinforced clothing? Yeah. Maybe Jacob W. Davis thought his buttocks was glass. We have no evidence of that, and you should not. It's the real story, but I didn't want people thinking less of him, so. You, you shouldn't sully Jacob Davis's name. Okay. wonder if his middle initial is W or if I'm just making that up. Then there was Princess Alexandria of Bavaria, who suffered from glass delusion, but hers took a somewhat odd flavor. She believed that when she was a child, she swallowed a glass piano. And we've all been there. You've had a thought that maybe when you were a child, you might have swallowed a, a, a glass piano? No, of course not. I know for a fact that when I was a child, I swallowed several glass pianos. Mm. Well, you are not careful enough with your body. <laughs> you should really, you know, pad up. Maybe maybe not fall down so much. Ladders are completely out. She, like Charles, was very careful about how she moved. She didn't want to make any sudden movements or fall down because it could shatter inside her and she would die. In her mind. She wouldn't have actually died from falling down. I guess it depends on how she f- would fall down, but... Not because of a piano. Right. Did she have any reason to believe that she had, at some point, come in contact with a glass piano that could be swallowed? I have to wonder. Maybe there was, like, some kind of childhood memory she had. Maybe maybe it was some kind of... Maybe she had a weird dis- dream. Yeah, maybe it was some kind of distorted memory of her childhood that caused this. Or, I mean, we're also talking about mental illness. Mental illness was not, for the lack of a better word, a thing at the time, and they certainly didn't have the language that we do now to describe these, I would say, somewhat abstract ideas. Also, glass, and especially very clear glass, was still kind of a new, somewhat magical thing. I don't think they actually thought it was magic, but it was was mystical. It was like alchemy. It was amazing. And sometimes when something new is plopped into our lives, we can start having strange, maybe even obsessive ideas about it. Pair that with a pre-existing mental disorder, and I can see a recipe for people coming to the conclusion that they were made of glass. I feel like I remember hearing a story where when the internet first came out, there was a guy who thought that he was a computer or something... Stuff like this does still pop up Um, with the modern age of technology. There is a lot of paranoia about being watched or listened to or being spied on. I think there was something about concrete. Whenever concrete came out, people started to think that they were made of concrete or pieces of them were made of concrete. Well, at least you'd be sturdier than glass. That's true, but also heavy. I believe there was a story about 
someone who thought that their butt was made of glass, and so their doctor spanked them and said, did that hurt? And they said, yes. You go, your butt can't be made of glass then, because that wouldn't have hurt. It's fleshy. This fascination with glass prompted the German alchemist Johann Becker to write in Physica Subterranea in 1669 that man, like all animals, is glass and can return to glass. He claimed that he was able to transform dead bodies into glass so that people could surround themselves with dead relatives in the form of fancy vases. Could he? I, I'm going to say no. Oh, that's a bummer. I wouldn't mind being turned into glass. It'd be kind of a cool thing to do. There is a lot of things that you can do with your ashes after you've been cremated. Yeah, you can have them put in glass. That's not quite the same. You can also have them tattooed. What? Like you, most people would put something to do with the person that died and then have their ashes put into the ink and then you tattoo with it. No hate to anybody who thinks that that's cool and beautiful, but that to me is... Are you are you grodied? Are you grodied out? Yeah, I'm a little, that, that one disturbs me a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of other things that you can do with ashes as well. Wouldn't your body like absorb it? I don't know what the repercussions of having that done is. I just know that it can be done. Tell you what, there's a faster way to get the ashes absorbed into your body. Whenever I die, cremate me, uh, roll up a dollar bill and snort me up. I was thinking of maybe adding you to my peanut butter to make them PB&J sandwiches. It would be, it'd be cute. Or no, I could do peanut butter and honey sandwiches because that's your favorite sandwich. You should spread me on a rack of ribs to get that nice smoky flavor. Oh, now I'm grodied out. That is everything that I have on glass. There were wonderful times, there were sad times, and then there were grody times. And you made it. It's the whole trifecta of a good story. Well, this has been another exciting history of a mundane thing. Don't forget to grab a goose and ask the Germans about their poles. <laughs> that was kind of lengthy. Get it? Lengthy. Thanks for listening. Nah, go! Woo!